Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast. This is Pastor Mike with the Aliante Community Baptist Church. We invite you, your family, and friends to join us as we study God's Word. So, let's begin. chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. And we're going to begin at verse number 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold, and inherit eternal life. But many who are, la- who are first will be last, and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Again he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour, and did likewise. 
And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more. And they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last. For many are called, but few chosen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer please. Our Father in God, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we thank you again, O Lord, for your grace and your mercy, your compassion, for the forgiveness of sin that is made possible through the death, through the shed blood of your Holy Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus. But we also give thanks that after being buried that he arose on the third day, that we serve a living Savior who is able to heal and to make well. We pray for all those who are here today who have never received Jesus as their Savior, that today they'll come to know him as Lord and Savior of their lives. And for those who are struggling with physical challenges, health challenges, who are depressed, who are grieving, who feel lonely and troubled, we pray for your peace for your encouragement, for your special touch, as only you can touch and heal and make well. And Lord, as we study your word, we pray that you be our teacher through God the Holy Spirit to the honor and to the glory of the Lord Jesus and to the benefit of your people, to the blessing of your church. We pray, O oh Lord, that you be honored for it is in your name that we pray, Lord Jesus, giving thanks. Amen. So, the message today, Lessons for Life, Service Recruited, Rendered, and Rewarded. And so the first point here is a camel and a needle. You've probably heard this before, and you know, so many scholars try to explain this thing away. It's really actually more simple than you know they they make it. Oh, they some say, well, there was this this gate, you know, in Israel. No, there wasn't. We don't know anything about that. Really. Somebody made that up several centuries ago. What Jesus is talking about here 
is a camel, which at that time in Palestine was the largest animal. And, you know, the little, the little eye, or the, the little hole in the needle, which was the smallest opening. And what he was using was what we refer to as hyperbole. He was using an extreme example that God is able to do the impossible. But you'll recall, two weeks ago, we looked at the earlier passage where the rich young ruler came asking what he must do to, to have eternal life. And Jesus told him about the commandments, and he said, well, I've kept all of those, right, from my youth. And Jesus said, yes, but there is one thing that you still lack. Well, what was that one thing? He said, well, sell everything that you have. Take the money and give it to the poor. Come and follow me. And what was his response? Do you recall? His response, yes. He became very sad. He turned around, walked away sadly. Now there's a lesson. Well, there are tremendous lessons in there, and we're going to look at it, some of those. But isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't go running after him? He didn't do that. He didn't go running after him saying, well, maybe you misunderstood me. Maybe you, you misunderstood what I said. Oh, or did I offend you? I'm so sorry. Jesus didn't do that, did he? Not at all. Not at all. Because Jesus plainly spoke the truth. And he never apologized for preaching or teaching the truth. And that is what we are to be about, the truth. And we do not apologize for preaching and sharing and teaching what is true, God's holy word. The snare of wealth, self-sufficiency, the rich young man was tied to his riches. Now, was Jesus saying that it's an evil thing to be rich? No. The Bible does not say that. The Bible does not say that, that money is the root of all evil. No. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money. When this world teaches you to be self-sufficient, to be independent, well, there are really three stages. The first is dependency. We come into this world, we're dependent upon on others to take care of us as, as little babies. But then as we grow, and we become you know, teenagers, and some before that, <laughs> adolescents, etc., they grow into this independent stage, right? But there's a third stage. It's the mature stage, and that is when one recognizes that they are interdependent. We need each other. We need each other. We need God. How many of you this week sat down and cobbled your own shoes? Did you do that? And how many of you this week sat at home? Now, some of you might have done this sewed your own shirt or your own skirt. 
or knitted your own socks? How many of you this past month or this past year put your own car together to be able to drive a car here to church this morning? You see the point that I'm making? We are interdependent. We need one another. And God in his wisdom has made it possible for people to have all of these different types of abilities and talents so that all of our needs could be met. It is God who provides all of this. I mentioned this in Sunday school. I want to mention it here. If you have access to YouTube or someone, uh, you know someone who has access to YouTube, if you don't, I would encourage you to, to watch this particular uh, little video. And I hope I get the title correct. I should have written it down. The most influential book in the history of the human race. That's the title. The most influential book in the history of the human race. You know what that book is? The Bible. The Bible. And several scholars from the uh, Museum of the Bible, I believe in Washington, D.C., they make a presentation on the history of the Bible and the, and the impact of the Bible on the human race. You see, when, when the Bible was actually put into print, and I'm not talking about when the Masoretes or the Masoretes copied, they still do that. And we are in a tremendous debt to our Jewish brothers uh, and sisters because they faithfully, faithfully hand-copy, and they still do that today, hand-copy the Tanakh or the Old Testament, the Scriptures. But many years ago, the Gutenberg Bible was printed, and that printing of the Bible in German made it possible for the common person to have a copy of the Bible. You know that it's estimated that perhaps 90% of the population of the time was illiterate. But as a result of the printing of the Bible, that literacy then began to expand, not just in Europe, but around the world as the Bible was made possible, or made available, I should say, to people in other countries, and it was printed in various languages. And today, the Bible is, is printed in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of languages. Scholars believe that the Bible single-handedly impacted the world and increased the literacy of people of all ethnic backgrounds. And as a result of that, the standard of living also increased. Well, the snare of wealth, self-sufficiency, this young rich man, like so many today, their trust is placed in things. Things. Money. One of the questions in our Sunday school lesson this morning was, why is it so difficult for us to 
hate, as the scripture says, to hate this life. Why do we cling to this life or this worldly life? Because we're taught from young to make the most of this life, right? Grab all the gusto you can. Going to school is a good thing, and I encourage people to go to school. But the emphasis is to go to school so that you can have the best career, so you can make the most money, so that you can enjoy all the pleasures that this life has to offer. Isn't that what's taught? Rarely will you hear anyone say, go to school, study hard, so that you can discover what God would have you to be and how he would have you to serve him in your life. Is that what you were taught in school? Rarely. When I was a principal, every now and then, the teacher would come in and they called me Dr. R. That was what the kids and what the teachers called me. I was fine with that. One of the teachers would come in and, and she would say, well, I'm not going to be returning next year. And then they would go on to say, not because I'm not happy at the school, but I've, I've chosen to stay at home to be a mom to my children. And I would congratulate them. I would say, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, we're sad that we'll be losing you, but I want you to know that I believe that motherhood is the most noble, the most noble and loving career, if you want to put it that way, that a woman can dedicate herself to. And that would surprise some of them, because that is what a woman was designed to be. She was created to be a helper to her husband, his equal, and a mother to their children. That is God's will. Now there are some who would have you to believe that it's altogether something else. The self-sufficient person places their trust, their trust in humanity. The self-sufficient person who rejects God says, humanity has the answer. All these people running around telling you about climate change, well, the climate has been changing since the beginning of time. That isn't anything new. But you notice that they changed from the warming, right? Remember, it used to all be about everything getting hotter, right? But the climate has continuously change from the beginning of time. And guess what? It is going to get hotter. And if you read over in the writings of, uh, of the Apostle Peter and also in the book of Revelation and several other places, it says, eventually it's all going to burn up. That's what this world is destined for. It's going to burn up. And it's going to be recreated. You see, this self-sufficiency, this attitude of self-sufficiency, is the opposite of childlike faith. You'll recall earlier in this same chapter, 
that the Lord talked about being like a little child, that is, being completely and totally dependent upon God. Well, the apostles, upon hearing this, they, they wonder. Well, why do they wonder? Well, who can be saved? Because at the time and even today, and the Bible does teach this, those who please the Lord oftentimes are blessed, not only spiritually, but materially as well. That's not always the case. But God does make a promise, several promises, especially in the, in the life of the Hebrews. Why he said, if you will love me, if you will obey me, he said, you won't be sick. Your animals won't be sick. And your crops won't be sick. He said, your crops will be abundant. If you will live by my law, you will be blessed. You will not be borrowing. Instead, you will be lending. Isn't that what he told Israel? He said, you will not be the borrower. You will be the lender. All will come to you. And you will be blessed above all people. You see, and this was their understanding. Their thinking was, well, wait a minute. From what we understand, a person who's been really blessed materially, their life must surely be right with God. And there are those who teach that today. They refer to it as the prosperity gospel. Right? And wasn't Job one of the richest, if not the richest men in the Middle East at the time in which he lived? Yet what happened to Job? Because he really was a righteous man, because he really did love the Lord, God allowed all of his wealth to be taken away. The apostles say, well, wait a minute now, then who can be saved? If a person that appears to be blessed by God isn't saved, then who in the world can be saved? And there's also a mistaken identity with respect to, to the apostles. You know, they weren't all poor. You know, they, the apostles were not among the group out there on the street begging for bread. You, you hear that they were poor, poor, poor. Peter and James and John and Andrew, they had their own fishing enterprise. They fished. They, they were middle class people. They were not poor. Now, perhaps some of them were on the poor side, but Matthew certainly wasn't the one who, who wrote this book. Matthew was a tax collector. And what do we know about the tax collectors? They were wealthy. You follow? But you'll, you'll hear preachers oftentimes, they like to point out the fact that they were poor. No, they weren't. Some of them might have been, but the majority of them were. They were all hardworking people. So they said, well, well, who can be saved? And notice what Jesus says. God is able. What's he saying? What's impossible with humanity 
is possible with God. Impossibilities are possible with God. And you'll hear you'll have these people when you're talking about God's omnipotence. They'll say, Well, can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it? That he that he can't do anything. Oh, what Jesus said here is what is impossible with man is possible with God. He's not talking about absurdities. You follow? People who, who present those kinds of arguments don't realize that what they're presenting is an absurdity. God will never do anything that is inconsistent with his nature. But what is impossible with man is possible with God. And so let's move on. Second point here. Well, they ask a question. Well, what shall we have? Jesus said, they must be willing to leave all. The rich young ruler was not willing to give up his material wealth. They said, well, well, what about us? I mean, we've left everything to follow you. Now, you might think that that's a self-centered question, and in, from one perspective it is. But I rather think that they were asking it because they were confused. Going back to the point again, well, someone whose life is filled with contentment and material blessing must have a life that is right with God. You follow? And they're thinking, well, we've given up the comforts of life. We've even left our families to follow you. We've given it all up. What, what are we going to get? And notice what Jesus says. I Surely I say to you that in the regeneration, now what is that? That's a whole other discussion, but very quickly, he's talking about when this whole will of God comes to fruition and he establishes his kingdom, guess what? Not only will he be sitting upon his own throne as king, because he is the king, but the, the apostles are also going to be sitting upon thrones of authority, judging, and that word judging does not infer or imply condemning, but rather ruling. You follow? Managing, leading. You'll recall in the, uh, the parable of the talents where he gives one ten, another five, and another one, and then they were rewarded, and one will be ruler of a hundred cities, one of ten, uh, fifty cities, and then ten cities, etc. Well, the apostles are given a very special place in all of eternity, as they will lead. Twelve apostles, one for each of the twelve tribes of Israel. Notice he says, you who have followed me will sit on twelve thrones, 
And everyone who has left all, I put all in there because I couldn't fit all of that in that verse on, uh, on this slide. But he lists it. Their families, their lands. He's talking about sacrifice for his name's sake. I've shared with you that when I went to seminary, the, uh, one of the most interesting things and also inspiring things were the number of people who had tremendous careers that they had given up to follow the Lord and to go into the ministry, to be missionaries around the world, to be pastors of churches, engineers, medical doctors, architects, you, you name it, from all walks of life. Sacrificing all for the Lord Jesus. Now notice, as we move on, Jesus then talks about a landowner who hires people to work in his field. And we've read the story. You understand what's going on here. So they're standing in the marketplace. And it, it, if we were to bring that up to uh, modern times, it'd be like in the unemployment office, right? Where folks go to the unemployment office. But if you go to a Home Depot or Lowe's, you might find some guys standing in the, in the parking lot. They call them day laborers. But you have to be careful there because you don't know that they're necessarily honest people. They may be looking for an opportunity to go to a home that they can, you know, uh, you know scope out and then come back another time. But these gentlemen were standing in the marketplace, and it was common then to hire day laborers. So Jesus goes out early in the morning, and he, he hires some workers at an agreed price. They enter into a contract. It's very important because it's very different with the rest of them. He enters into a contract with those that he hires first. And the contract is, you will receive a full day's wage. And what was a full day's wage? One denarius. That was a day's wage for that period of time. But a full day was 12 hours. We complain about eight. Okay, we complain about eight. And really, most people only work about six and a half because they get their lunch break and then they get their little, you know, coffee break in the first four hours and a coffee break in the second four hours, right? And all that. Twelve hours. They got one denarius. They enter into a contract. Then he goes out about the third hour. It says that's about 9 a.m. And he hires some more workers. But he, he says, go work in the field and I'll give you whatever is right. Then he goes out again at 12 noon and then again at 9, uh, I mean at the 3 p.m., the ninth hour. And he, he enters into the same agreement with them. He says, go work in my field and I'll give you whatever is right. And so they probably were thinking that they would get, you know, a prorated amount of, of pay for the, for the day. Then he goes out at the 11th hour, 5 o'clock. 
Because you see, they work from six in the morning to six in the evening. The eleventh hour. And he says, why have you been standing here idle all day? Why standing idle? Not because they were lazy. Because they, they just hadn't been hired. No one had come by to hire them. And so he says, you go ahead and go ahead into the field. Now, the vineyard, if you will, the field really is symbolic of the nation Israel. And you can read that in Isaiah chapter 51. So we move on. The labor was rendered and the wages were paid. So they went out there and they worked. And the end of the day comes. And so he calls the steward to pay them. He says, call the laborers and give them their wages. Beginning with the last to the first. And everyone received a day's wage. They all received a denarius. And some of the workers began to grumble with the landlord. Now stop for a moment and consider that how long a person works doesn't necessarily equate to the quality of another person's work. And you know, some people have worked for a company, say, 30 years, but they have one year's experience repeated 30 times over. You follow me? Whereas some people really do have 30 years of growing experience. But they grumble with him. Now, why do they grumble? Maybe you would have grumbled. You said, well, wait a minute. I worked for 12 hours. This guy worked one hour. You gave him the same amount that, that you gave me. That's where that contract comes in. Because what is his response to those who grumble with him? I haven't done wrong to you. We agreed that you would come and work in my field for a full day, and I would pay you a day's wage. Did he not say that? And the day's wage was one denarius. He said, I've not done you any wrong. We agreed on one denarius. And he goes on, he says, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? And then he mentions evil and good. What is Jesus talking about here? What is he actually describing? The whole lesson is really about God's grace. God's grace. And isn't it interesting that today, what do you hear thrown about? The politicians really like to use this one. They beat this one like a dead horse, right? Equality. Isn't that right? Because that's, that's, uh, you know, that's the human perspective. Equality. All you have to do is look around and you know that there really is no such thing. And this uh, past Thursday I was on the golf course with Brother Lynn. <laughs> and I said, well, he beat me like a red-headed stepchild. <laughs> he got up there and hit that ball. I thought, man, you know. He didn't tell me he was a pro. <laughs> you know, I could barely get the ball to stay on the on a little tee, you know, let alone hit the thing out. <laughs> yeah. But notice what he says. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? 
Let me read this quote. In the kingdom of God, grace is given because of the nature of the giver, not the worthiness of the recipient. You see, the whole lesson is about God's grace. He says to the, to the grumblers, are you upset? Are you envious that I've given to these who've only worked an hour, a full day's wage, because I have a generous heart, because I want to give to them the same that I've given to you, yet I've not done you any wrong because we had an agreement that you would work for one denarius and you got that, so go on your way. And if I choose to be gracious to one, I will be gracious to whomever I choose to be gracious to. And that is what God says about his mercy. Now, what do we learn from these passages here? God is able, the impossible is possible with God. And what does that mean? God is able to save to the uttermost, the Bible says. Someone that you may think is beyond reaching. Someone you think is beyond reaching with the gospel. God is able to reach them and to save them. I've shared this uh, about these people who were, who were working for the Billy Graham crusade, this man and his little boy, they were out in the neighborhood giving out tracts and invitations to the Billy Graham crusade. And as they walked, they saw this guy, you know, he was this great big gnarly looking guy with all of the tattoos, you know, and the shaved head and the whole bit. And the little boy ran over and gave him an invitation. The dad was kind of, you know, timid. But the guy took the, he took the invitation, he took the track, he tore it up and threw it down. And the little boy ran back to his dad. But that night, at that Billy Graham crusade, when the invitation was given, as they sat there in the stands, they saw that man go forward and accept Jesus as his Savior. God is able to do what we cannot do. The impossible is possible with God because God is omnipotent. And the Lord is fully aware of his children's sacrifices. You see, these guys that had worked the whole day, they thought they deserved more. Today, all these people crying and complaining about how bad they have it and what they deserve and what they're entitled to. God owes us nothing. And that is the truth. If we all received what we deserve, we would all be in hell today. The entire human race would be in hell. God owes us nothing. That is the truth. And yet God offers us everything through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we like to cry and complain about everything that we deserve and everything that we're entitled to. Now I'll bet every single person in this room probably has some money in their pocket. And they probably have some money at home. And they probably have some money in the bank. And they probably have some extra money that they could use to spend on something that they don't necessarily need but want. That's probably true. 
And what else is also true? Is that you're wealthier than more than three-fourths of the people in the world. And yet you don't realize it. And we actually think here in America that we sacrifice a lot to serve the Lord Jesus. Oftentimes when someone goes on a vacation, <laughs> they're going on a vacation, you know, they're, they're going to Aruba or someplace. And I say, oh, I, I see you're suffering for Jesus. And I say, Jody. But most of us don't realize just how easy we have it. God is aware of any sacrifices that his children make. And God is abundantly generous with his grace. His grace in all places because God is present in all places. And he knows the lives of his children. He knows the lives and what they experience around the world. And lastly, as Lord of creation, God is supreme authority that the the supreme authority of divine right, or in other words, he is sovereign. He doesn't ask us for permission to do what he does. He doesn't have to. person says, well, I just don't understand. How is it that that person who was a so-and-so and a such-and-such -such has now been given such and such, and is used in a certain way. You see, there are a lot of people who thought that uh, David, when David committed the sin of adultery and murder, right, with Bathsheba, and then had her husband Uriah killed, that he should have been removed from the kingship. But God didn't remove him. As a matter of fact, what's the epitaph? David, a man after God's own heart. As Lord of creation, God has supreme authority. And the last shall be first and the first last. Or in other words, many powerful and rich will be surprised to find themselves poor and lost in eternity. And many who have position and power are going to find that they are weak and miserable in eternity. Well, we're out of time. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. Jesus, I come. Maybe you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you've accepted Jesus as Savior, but you've backslidden. You need to rededicate your life. Maybe you're struggling. You're, you're, you're grasping on to your own riches. You're unwilling to give your time or your talents or your funds to the Lord's work. You need to rededicate your life. Maybe you're here today and you're wondering about becoming a member of the church. To do so, you, you need to come down the aisle to accept Christ. Maybe the decision for baptism, you come. We're going to sing, and as we sing, you come. Let's stand, please.
pray that you have been blessed by today's lessons from God's Word. And we invite you to contact us with any questions that you may have, especially questions regarding your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to help you with your walk of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and with your understanding of His Holy Word, the Bible. Our contact information is listed in the podcast show notes. May God richly bless you.